It is Palm Sunday, and uh, today's topic, I, I'm hoping it'll hit your heart in a good way. I hope you hear, you'll hear hope, and you'll be encouraged by what you hear today. Um, uh, it's also Passover week, so for the Jewish faith, they, uh, they're celebrating Passover, so happy Passover to those. And something that you may not know, did you know that palms used on Palm Sunday are burned to become the ashes used on Ash Wednesday. So they uh, save them, dry them, burn them, and then it's used for ash the following year. It's kind of neat. I never knew that, um, but uh, Pastor Hans here had uh, told me about uh, what what that is and how it works. So uh, pretty neat background on this. So triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. Why did Jesus make the trip? He made the trip for you. This next thing I want to read to you uh, is about you and how God sees you um, and why this whole story of Easter is so important. This part I really hope hits you. It's called I Love You, I Love You, and it's from Henry Nouwen. The voice of despair says, I sin over and over again. After endless promises to myself and others to do better next time, I find myself back again in the old dark places. Forget about trying to change. I've tried for years. It didn't work, and it will never work. It's better that I get out of people's way, be forgotten, and no longer or no longer around, dead. This strangely attractive voice takes all uncertainties away and puts an end to the struggle. It speaks ambiguously for the darkness and offers a clear-cut negative identity. This is not the real you speaking. But Jesus came to open my ears to another voice. This is the voice we're called to listen to. Listen carefully to this. Honestly, some of you, somebody watching needs this. I am your God. I have molded you with my own hands. And I love what I've made. I love you with a love that has no limits. Because I love you as I am loved. Do not run away from me. Come back to me. Not once, not twice, but always again. You're my child. I am your God. The God of mercy and compassion. The God of pardon and love. The God of tenderness and care. Please do not say that I have given up on you, that I cannot stand by you anymore, that there is no way back. It's just not true. I, I so much want you to be with me. I so much want you to be close to me. I know all your thoughts. I hear all your words. I see all your actions. And I love you because you are beautiful made in my own image, an expression of my most intimate love. Do not judge yourself. Do not condemn yourself. Do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty, a beauty that you have lost sight of. But that I will become, so, but that will become visible to you again in light of my mercy. Come, come, let me wipe your tears. Let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> 
What a powerful, powerful text uh, to have truth spoken into us. This is why Jesus went to the cross, to change the narrative, to change humanity's perspective on who his father was and is. Beautiful picture. There's another observation from a, a teacher I have come to admire uh, regarding the triumphal entry, and this is, this is quite powerful. It's from Brian Zond. I want to read this for you as well. It goes like this. It's from uh, a quote from one of his uh, uh, pages. It says, what we see on Palm Sunday are two parades, one from the west, one from the east, one where Caesar's prefect of Judah or Judea rides a war horse uh, and one where God's anointed Messiah rides a donkey. One is a military parade projecting the power of empire, the Roman Empire. The other is a prophetic parade announcing the arrival of an alternative empire, the kingdom of God. The arrival. Did you catch that? One parade derives its power from a willingness to crucify its enemies. The other derives its power by embracing the cross and forgiving its enemies. One is a perpetuation of the, of the denomin, uh, domination systems of empire. The other is the only hope the world has for true liberation. The question is, which parade will we march in? The parade that celebrates empire and militarianism and trusts in war to shape the world? Or to parade, or the parade that celebrates the Prince of Peace and trusts in God to heal the world? Absolutely. Which one is it going to be? <laughs> it's incredible, the narrative that's there. This, this story, uh, Heading to the Cross, there's going to be a number of passages I'm going to share with you. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the actual march with the donkey. Um, but before that, I want you to listen in on a potential conversation that may have happened. Probably not like this, but there's going to be some encouragement from this. So let's see what two disciples may have said to each other. I think you'll enjoy this. Here we go. This is a no-brainer. We do exactly what Jesus said. We go into town, we find the donkey with its coat. I and just don't understand it. why Jesus wants us to commit a crime. He wants us to steal a donkey. No, no. Not steal, borrow. Oh, so we're just supposed to stroll into town, untie the donkey and... And say exactly what he said to say. Oh, what is it? Oh, that the Lord has need of it? Yes, and we'll return it. What does that even mean, the Lord has need of it? It's self-explanatory. Why are you being so, so... So, so, so me? Because you all know that I'm the rule follower of the bunch. I just don't know why Jesus just didn't ask Peter to do this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. This is so up Peter's alley. Steal the donkey, cause an uproar, that's his thing. Peter is the reason why banks chain their pens. Oh, I just don't want to go to jail. You know I hate one-ply toilet paper. I... Lower your voice. Look, we're just going to do what Jesus says. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? I don't know, a cracked rib, a busted lip, the kind of name calling that'll put you in therapy years down the road. Stop it. Stop whining. Stop talking. Stop everything. Stop freaking out. Um, I, I, I don't mean to be judgy here, but someone needs to get the log out of their own eye. You have trust issues. 
serious trust issues. You even know how many germs are in a jail cell, do you? No, 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 I don't, I don't. I'm sure it's a whole lot, okay? I don't know. And I don't know why Jesus wants us to get a donkey, and I don't know why people are gathering branches over here and lining the streets, but it just seems like there's something big is about to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Go back. Why did you say I had trust issues? Okay. Okay, let's make it about you. What? Think about it. Since we've been following him, we've seen him give sight to the blind. He's healed people with leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. From the dead? I can't even raise you from a nap. Hey, I think we can trust him with this donkey issue. That's just it. I have trust issues. I see how Jesus trusts the Father. He trusts so much, even more than the ground that I'm standing on. To trust someone like that, I, I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're gonna trust someone, it's him, right? Oh. Okay, all right, let's do it. We got this. Right. You first. Baby steps. Hey, when we get there and we grab said donkey, maybe I really should leave like a Benjamin. No. A 20 spot? No. A thank you card. Stop it. All right, I'll trust him. Interesting story. There's a lot going on in the story. We all have presumptions about, about how we interpret these words, these scriptures. We have grown up, many of us have grown up in church and Sunday school and have an idea of what the Easter story is or Christmas story, whichever story you read in scripture. But I think the more we dig, the more we dig in, we're going to discover that there's more going on, that there are other lenses and perspectives uh, and that, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a lens that um, may be different than you might have thought. That the Jews who were expecting the Messiah to come, maybe they were expecting someone else or a different kind of Messiah. And I believe that is true. So let's begin. Let's take a look at the story, the real story. And I'm going to share with you the, a couple of the spots all through uh, the Gospels where this story takes shape. And it begins with this one. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. By the way, did you notice the Mount Olive sign in the kid's story on that post? That was cute. <laughs> uh, I noticed it. I thought it was funny. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colts beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord has needs, or the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus said. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble riding on the donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and sat on and he sat on it. 
Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, hint, hint on the word prophet. We're going to come back to that. So this is the, the beginning of him heading to the city, and this is the famous march. This is why we have the palm branches. Uh, some of you have palm branches around you, um, others don't. And on Sundays, we, we invite the kids to have their palm branches, and it's kind of cool. So here's another part from the book of Mark. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door, and as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? And they said that what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. I, I wondered uh, about that story of, you know, uh, the, the conversation we just heard. You're, you know, Jesus is telling us to steal a donkey. I thought of that as a kid. I always thought, I can't believe, I'm, it was funny to hear them uh, make fun of that. Anyway, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people were all around him shouting, Praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. So two of the Gospels share the same story, just written just slightly different, but pretty much the same. In the book of Luke, we have this. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If I kept them quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came close, oh, no, go back. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Let me pause for a moment. I'm going to go back to the other one. That's right. So here, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who, by the way, love the accolades of people, okay? They, they wanted the attention. They demanded the respect. Um, this was like, I have the title. It's like the title of reverend in front of a minister's uh, uh, name, you know, and once in a while you'll meet somebody who will say it's Reverend so-and-so instead of just by their name. That's always bothered me when you force people to correct that because now you're forcing a title. Now, is there value to it? I'm not going to go there. That's not what I'm talking about. Here is a group of Pharisees who demanded it. They had the habit and the culture of demanding all of these uh, accolades. So suddenly they see somebody else getting accolades, and now they're really jealous. So they're saying, hey, why don't you rebuke them? They shouldn't be praising you that much. You're taking credit that's almost God's uh, honor. And of course, if Jesus rejected the words of those people cheering, it might diminish the potential prophecy that, or even those words, Hosanna to the highest. Do you see the tension here? Do you see the judgmentalism coming from the religious world? Oh yeah, here it comes. And Jesus just didn't bother to stop them. He said, no, 
God, the rocks are going to cry out if, if, uh, if I tell them to stop. Well, here's what they're yelling. Um, but as they came closer to, to Jerusalem and, and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. This is a very significant part of the story that is not often talked about during Palm Sunday. Here he says in verse 42, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. We're going to cover, we're going to come back to this at the, towards the end of the message because I got some uh, touch points I want to remind you of. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Huh. So there, here's a weeping. Jesus obviously sees something going on. He perceives what they are thinking of how they are expecting him to come when he's not coming through their expectation at all. Do you remember Brian Zahn's comparison of the two parades that we read at the beginning? This, that's what's going on here right now. That's why he weeps when he sees the pain and destruction that's coming. In John 12, here's another uh, lens of the story. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. This is important. A man pre was prepared in Jesus' honor. Oh, sorry, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Wink, wink, because he was the treasurer. He probably could have used the money for something else. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. There it is. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. See, here Jesus is already foretelling what's going to happen. He's been doing this for a while now. In fact, this whole week, um, uh, that conversation keeps coming up. Jesus is warning them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross. What? What are you talking about? No, may it never be, all these kind of things. You start to see the pattern going on here. So the disciples did not catch on. By the way, the clue was when Jesus was taken in the garden, they all fled. They all took off. That's, that's the evidence of them not catching on to anything. So that's, this is a pretty big deal. But here he's saying, this is in preparation for my burial. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The resurrection of Lazarus was a big deal, all right? First of all, Jesus shows up late for a funeral. Yeah, I've seen people show up 10 minutes late. I've seen people show up 30 minutes late for a 33-minute funeral. <laughs> yeah, they walk in just as we're saying, and now in conclusion. Um, but Jesus was even worse. He was four days late. This is a 
this is a big deal. Lazarus being raised so publicly and so obviously, um, there was no question of what has happened. And it gave great credibility to the words of Christ. And here they decided to take out Lazarus too. Like usually when there's a hit put on you, you know, they know who you are, but here they're adding a name. Well, if he's close by, take him out too, because he's the evidence of this. If we take him out, then, oh my goodness, we can, we can quash the story. Didn't happen. His disciples didn't understand at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So they did catch wind of what's gone on after Jesus went back up into heaven. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone's gone after him. So people are talking about this Lazarus thing. And they can't shut up about it because it's like the big deal, the big news story. Uh, like, honestly, this, this was spreading like wildfire and there's nothing they can do. And it happened to be Passover time and the city was overfilled with everybody coming to the temple to do their, their time there and do their sacrifices. So this is an already overcrowded place and this news is just spreading like wildfire. So what are some things we can take away from this? I got about four or five things that I think we need to be reminded of that we may not see in the story and let's peel back a lens or a layer maybe there's a a box in the corner that we haven't looked into yet for finding some meaning and for some of you you may have heard of all of these others may have only heard of one or two of them but here's the big deal the people received jesus as a prophet not as messiah my friend keith giles just wrote about this on a blog this week so that sentence is from him but the scenario is they were they were looking for a prophet and one who would conquer so matthew 21 11 says the crowds replied it's jesus the prophet from nazareth in galilee do you remember me having that highlighted and underlined that's what's going on they didn't have a clue he was the messiah messiah as in they didn't get what Messiah really meant. They had already been groomed to believe this Messiah would give them freedom, not from sin, but from the Romans. That's right. Usually, today, we read the passage about the temple shouting Hosanna as an indication that the, the people received Jesus as their king. On the contrary, the people were rejecting Jesus as personal spiritual Messiah. They didn't even know what that meant yet and called him out for as their political militant messiah that's right their savior to save them from rome but jesus had a bigger plan a better plan when they shout hosanna which means save us they're demanding him to lead the charge of attack against the romans so this again they're they're anticipating hope 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 uh clear and obvious um i, I probably shouldn't compare this but there's some certain political things that have happened in the last year and certain supporters of political parties whether in canada or us or wherever when their party doesn't win 
they have all this hope and they conjure up stories to make things happen and then they're let down because it didn't go the way they planned i think that happens in every political party every political party this is no different they were hoping for a regime change not a coming messiah that will be savior of the world by the way which is what the angels told the shepherds he's going to save people the whole world from their sin this is good news for the world well this didn't look like good news well they were hoping for good news of of, of the romans finally you know going to be squashed by this messiah very different another thought in Zechariah 9 9 the truth uh, that the rest it, sorry the truth is that the rest of the prophecy in Zechariah was about uh, the Messiah coming as an agent of peace so let's take a look at the two verses from Zechariah because uh, you may not realize this everybody's familiar with this one this is this is the big prophecy of, of Palm Sunday rejoice O people of Zion shout in triumph O people of Jerusalem look your king is coming to you he is righteous and victorious yet he is humble riding on a donkey riding on a donkey's colt stop there that's where most everybody stops I have but look at this next verse they, they were looking for a conqueror but here it says as we continue in verse 10 I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Um, I don't remember reading this. I, I don't remember this ever being part of any Easter story or Palm Sunday message. Uh, the, again, the people and the Jews did too. They thought of just that coming victorious person, but they probably failed to really dig into this next verse, which is tied, tied so closely to this. Did you ever think of this? Jesus came to bring peace. It's scary for our culture in the West to even consider a, a peaceful Christ, a non-militant Christ, one who comes to bring peace. Um, I've been growing and learning in what this means over the last 10 years. Uh, I was part of a denomination oh, years ago um, that was militant about their stance on peace and non-resistance. And there's value to it. I'm not sure they fully understand it at the time or understood at the time, but I have come to learn more and more about it. And I'm coming to understand a, a lens of reading scripture that God is a nonviolent God. How is that possible with all the stories that we've read? Well, there are answers and we're not going to get into it today, but right here, what you see on the screen, this is the end of that prophecy or the the continuation of him coming uh, on a donkey so that he will destroy those weapons and yet in our culture today we rely heavily on weapons and guns and military and so on and so on and again this is not a knock against having a military or police or anything like that not at all but there's another way to see this that must be considered there isn't just one lens there are multiple lenses we need to explore them to find out where can we sit instead of just believing what we have been spoon-fed. So please take heart to this. I hope you'll 
take a look at this carefully. Number three, notice that Jesus weeps over the fact that they do not understand what his mission is when he responds to their exaltation and palm waving with this statement. And I'll just read this from another translation. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you, you and the young to, around you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Luke 19. Listen, I think Jesus is seeing into the future and he's seeing one generation beyond. A.D. 70. That's right. A.D. 70. What happened to Jerusalem? The city was surrounded. The children were in the walls. And the, the things that were torn down, especially the temple, not a single stone was left on top of another in the temple. This has already happened. Their enemy was Rome. They didn't recognize Jesus at the time. Jesus, I think Jesus was seeing the pain of his people, just like, like honestly, it take a look at um, when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise them up. And here's what Jesus did. He wept. He, he bawled his eyes out. Why? He was human, identifying with the pain of those around him. And then he rose Lazarus from the dead. And he, but he wept for the pain because God, Jesus came as fully God, fully human. And in his humanity, he saw and felt the pain of those people he was so close to. In the same way with this passage we just read, I believe Jesus was seeing the horrific pain they were going to go through as the Romans were going to come only one generation later. I, I think it's a clear, clear parallel. If you don't see it, well, can't help you, but I see it. All right. Palm waving. Number four. This is kind of interesting. We're almost done. Waving palm branches is significant. And this is from um, uh, Keith's article that he wrote. He said, those palm branches were a direct throwback to the Maccabean period when the triumph triumphant Jewish warriors rode into Jerusalem and the people celebrated their victory over the sec, uh, uh, Seleucids, which uh, incidentally was followed immediately by the, a ritual cleansing of the temple. we got some history to do. we got some reading to do. By waving those palm branches, the people were, are saying that they are ready for war. They are ready for the blood of the Romans to be spilled in an uprising that they hope Jesus will lead them in. It's no different than when Peter cut off the servant's ear in Gethsemane and received the rebuke from Jesus. Now, this is a hard one to think about, but this requires some historical context, something that we have not always been told. Yes, they're singing Hosanna, and we got these wonderful hymns, Hosanna, Hosanna, and all these, these wonderful songs, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there may be something culturally going on that we were not aware of because we have no clue. 
and uh, Keith brings this up, and it's it's an interesting paradigm. I'm not saying it's it's the only lens. It's it is a perspective that should be considered. Now, I believe that if they were really thinking it, that Jesus was going to take over and and conquer the Romans, because of the miracles Jesus had done, they believed that there was going to be a supernatural power that was going to overpower. They didn't need all their weapons. I don't know because they knew they were clearly, clearly outmanned. Who knows? We don't, we don't know for sure. But there's more going, going on in the story than we are aware of. So Palm Sunday, it's not what they expected, and maybe it's not what you expected. But I believe this Easter story, there's more going on than we've been told, and uh, I, I love digging in and finding little nuggets of of insight that I'd not heard before. Um, it requires us to expand our understanding and uh, study beyond our traditions, study beyond whatever Bible school you went to if you went to Bible school, um, study beyond your denominational lens. That's why I like Hope Fellowship so much because we're a multi-denominational family of people with multiple backgrounds. I too have been a part of many denominations and I call myself multi-tribal, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. But that becomes a gift, not a curse. It becomes a way to become less dogmatic and more understanding, to become more inclusive instead of exclusive because we exclude those that we think uh, that first of all, that don't agree with us. But as you grow and widen your understanding of God's love, you're going to realize, hang on, God's love is inclusive, fully inclusive, more inclusive than you ever dreamed of. And if you think it comes to an end that there's a limit to God's inclusion of, of, of people and who he loves, you got another surprise coming. <laughs> and that's good news. So today, Palm Sunday, Hosanna to the king. He did come as a king, but not as they expected. So I'm looking forward to next week as we uh, deal with uh, Good Friday and, of course, Easter Sunday. And hopefully we'll unpack some more insights to peel back more layers of revelation and good news.